You're listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hello, this is Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. For the third consecutive week, we had the pleasure and honor of hosting BMO Financial Group's COVID-19 call with Dr. John White and three subject matter experts from BMO, Deputy Chief Economist Michael Gregory, Head of FX Strategy for BMO Capital Markets, Greg Anderson, and BMO Wealth Management Canada, Leslie Marks. Here is a quick synopsis of Dr. John White's comments. As a reminder, Dr. White is a popular physician and writer who has been communicating to the public about health issues for nearly two decades. Dr. White is the chief medical officer at WebMD. In this role, Dr. White leads efforts to develop and expand strategic partnerships that create meaningful change around important and timely public health issues. Prior to WebMD, Dr. White served as the Director of Professional Affairs and Stakeholder Engagement at the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research at the USFDA. Importantly, Dr. White still sees patients actively in the Washington, D.C. and Maryland area. As such, he is on the front lines fighting this crisis. Here are Dr. White's comments from this week. You know, I want to start, as I always do, just kind of where we are on the data and the numbers. And I wanted actually this time to talk a little bit about Canada versus the United States. And, and I have to say that Canada actually has a great government health website, uh, along with the symptom checker and update, as well as um, where you are on cases. So within Canada, um, there are, are approximately 214,000 400 um, tests that have been done, 214,000. 6,320 people have tested positive, and there's been 65 deaths. And and that gives you roughly, and the numbers keep changing, um, a death rate around 1%. But it's actually probably lower given that we don't have a true denominator of cases. But an important point that Canada has on their website is that 98% of the confirmed cases had mild or moderate symptoms. Only 2% would be considered serious or critical. That's a little different than what we saw in some other countries where it was 80% mild. Canada is reporting 98% mild to moderate symptoms. In the United States, and there's a great website called covidtracking.com that really gives you up-to-date information uh, in terms of the number of cases, and this is actually as of just about an hour ago. Uh, Over 900,000 tests have been completed. There's been 143,000 cases that have tested positive. But keep in mind, over 700,000 people have tested negative, and these are in testing primarily of people that we think may have the disease. There are 2,487 deaths, which roughly makes a 1.7 fatality rate. Um, As you may know this, 50% of all new cases 
are occurring in New York, and other hot spots currently are Chicago, Cook County, New Orleans, possibly for Mardi Gras, Detroit, Florida, and California. 19 states have less than 200 cases, and I'm going to come back to that. But that's where we are in terms of the numbers. But the big issue that we've been talking about on all of these calls is testing. And, and testing is really going to impact all that I'm talking about. And testing in the United States, more so than in Canada, really started slow. And we're just starting to make it. So I, I gave you the numbers. We're almost testing at a million people. But, you know, half of that will have been just in the past couple of days. So we're almost at 20,000 tests per day. It has historically been limited by supplies of pipettes, protective equipment. Um, and I should also point out, even if we have a million tests done as of today, that's still much lower per person than other countries. But it's going to change, and you may have seen this in the news. They were having more access to point-of-care testing. You may know point-of-care testing means I you know, do the swab and, and I have a piece of equipment. Um, might be like a toaster-sized device right around me. So it's that point of, care, point of care testing, and that's really creating new testing strategies. So the previous week, I talked about how a company, Cephet, had a device where they could give you a test result within 45 minutes. And they've reported they have had some manufacturing problems in getting it out in the market. As you may have seen, Abbott recently announced their test can be done in quickly as in five minutes. It's, most of the time, it's five to 15 minutes, a positive test typically occurs in five minutes. A negative test might take 15 minutes. Um, it's been announced that they'll be shipping 50,000 tests a day starting equal second. And that is really going to ratchet up the number of, of cases, um, both positive and negative. There's still a prioritization here in the United States. It's supposed to be inpatient and long-term care facilities. And then elderly with comorbid conditions, healthcare providers, first responders. But I really want to caution everyone: you're going to see these numbers drop, and these numbers increase dramatically. But that's to be expected because we're going to be doing even more testing, so we're going to have more cases. And the other relevant point is FDA recently approved a self swab that you would do in your nose. It's not an at-home test, as they've been talking about in, uh, in some other countries and even here. It's going to be in a healthcare facility or a testing center where you'll self-swab. The important point about that is that'll eliminate the need for the personal protective equipment, and that's an important distinction. You know, I mentioned I've been talking to the Surgeon General quite a bit. The Surgeon General did announce publicly yesterday that the rate of increase of deaths have slowed. So we're still seeing new cases, but the rate of increase has decreased. The rate of new cases has slowed as well, given where we're looking at the current testing strategies before we have this whole new infusion. Uh, I mentioned to you that 19 states have less than 200 cases while they're doing active testing. And Dr. Fauci from NIH did announce yesterday that he thinks the mitigation strategies are working. And I want to talk a little bit about the curves because everyone's always asked, well, where are we on the curve? How many days are we on the curve? And I mentioned this before, but it's an important point to recognize that we're not truly comparing apples to apples. 
because so much of it is based on how much testing has occurred in the population and when mitigation strategies started. It's very hard to compare across countries. And Dr. Deborah Burks, who's the coordinator for the task force, um, late last week cautioned about those models that are predicting alarming increases in infections and deaths. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have those cases, but the increase, there's some question to that because there's a lot of uncertainty in these models and there's lots of estimate around the ranges. But people, the news media, I'm going to be honest, doesn't always talk about what those estimates are. And much of the behavior that we see can decrease the rate of increase. And she commented on Sunday, there's actually 12 different models that they're looking at. Uh, and they don't have the data that matches predictions that 60 to 70% of the population will be infected, infected in the next 8 to 12 weeks. And the UK revised their estimates of 500,000 deaths to 20,000 deaths. In, in Italy, they talked about a 7.2% mortality rate. And I told you what we currently are in Canada uh, and the U.S. It's, it's 1 to 1.7 percent, perhaps much lower because we don't have the true denominator. And just as you think about, you know, wh where we are compared to Italy, uh, hearing as many comparisons to Italy on the news, a quarter of the population in Italy is 65 or older. That's much higher than our population. Many deaths were due to comorbid illness rather than the COVID-19 infection, heart disease, respiratory issues. And then just the same mild and the asymptomatic cases were rarely tested and not included in the denominator. So overall, I do have this cautious optimism. Many of you know that the president announced last night um, that the guidelines in terms of social distancing will be extended till April 30th expect there to be a peak of cases in the next two weeks. Much of that is going to also be due to the increased testing as what we, what we think has been community spread. And he's hoping by June 1st that we have more of a recovery. I've mentioned a couple times that I've worked at the Food and Drug Administration. I've been talking to China Woodcock, the Center for Drugs at FDA. And despite some of the discussions around the vaccine, that's not where the action is. That's an 18-month endeavor under the best of circumstances. And there is more than one trial going on, but virus trial vaccines notoriously have been challenging and have often not worked. The real issue is where we are on treatment. And what I've been talking about with the FDA is getting out there that we still need to have objective review of data. Even in an epidemic, we still need to have trials. All drugs have risks, and we need to recognize that we have to address safety and efficacy. Uh, and you've heard a lot about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, um, but also remdesivir. But the other big area where we're seeing information, and, and Dr. Woodcock is big about getting the, getting the drugs out, getting them out in a testing environment, is also monoclonal antibodies, and then plasma therapies. And that's what people have been talking about uh, lately, this issue of convalescent plasma. And I'm not going to give an immunology lesson, but, you know, when we get infected, we mount an, uh, in, uh, an antibody response. And then the antibodies will persist in our, our bloodstream for a while. So can we retrieve them 
and then inject patients who are infected with antibodies from a recovered patient uh, because these antibodies would provide pr protection. And there actually are some trials currently undergoing right now. Mount Sinai is the place with the, the greatest number of patients undergoing it. And, and the reason why I come back to that is this is where you're going to see the discussion moving from is we can also change our testing paradigm. So right now we've been talking about, you know, how do we move to point of care testing so we can, you know, test a large number. But what we're actually going to start thinking about is antibody testing as opposed to diagnostic testing because the antibody test can tell us whether you've had coronavirus and you've recovered, whereas the current tests confirm whether or not you have active infection. And what we're going to want to know as we think about an off-ramp is whether people are recovering or have recovered from the virus. And the good news for that is that's a blood test versus a nasal or a throat swab. And if we can identify who's in, who was infected and recovered, including a wide-scale sampling of the population, we're going to hear much more about testing of a broader population soon that may have never been diagnosed, either because you didn't feel sick, because you were asymptomatic, and we need to understand that population, or you couldn't get an initial test because we know there's challenges. That's going to change over the next couple of weeks. It allows us to ultimately identify the full scope of the pandemic and not just individual infections. And Britain is moving in this way. They ordered 3.5 million finger prick serologic tests to start looking at that. And the reason why I focus on this is because we need to think of an off-ramp and an exit strategy as well as a next-time strategy because there is discussion about whether this will reoccur in the fall. So really, what's the future over the next couple of weeks? Well, we know we have 30 more days of social distancing. We're having more stay-at-home orders. I'm next door to Maryland. They just issued a stay-at-home order. We're going to see much more broader testing. Despite the limitations that we've had in supplies, I think the point of care testing as well as the self-swab is going to have a big impact on our ability to test a much larger population. A million tests sound really high, but that's only because you know early on we were doing a couple hundred. Um, so we need to do much more testing. But you're going to start to hear us talking about testing for immunity. Um, and then that gives us the ability to do smarter, targeted approaches because we have to recognize we can't stop the economy forever. And how do we do a more surgical strike like Singapore and South Korea did? They didn't close their schools for the most part. They didn't have panic. How are we going to use innovation and technology? Um, we all know there's tracking technology and, and uh, location uh, locators. There's discussion about that those persons that have become infected could upload their location services to a site. Other users who had been in close contact with that person would get a notification, and they could self-isolate themselves for two weeks. Or they could get a test, an antibody test. Maybe they've already recovered. And that way we can sever the transmission chain because that's what we're trying to do. And in many ways, how is innovation going to help with contact tracing in the future? Contact tracing is a lot of work. We don't have the infrastructure of, of public health to do that on a large scale. So how do we use technology to do that? 
and identify ahead of time a region of the outbreak of the virus. I talked on our last call that, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about a, a mitigation strategy based on risk and opening certain areas of the country. That's not where we are of today, but would we be there by April 30th, all things being equal? I always like to add, end with, you know, where's my where's my optimism? You know, where, what am I optimistic about? What am I concerned about? Because, you know, if, if you watch the news all day, it's all doom and gloom, and it really is an infodemic as well as a pandemic of just too much information. So a couple things that I'm optimistic about. There's been more and more discussion about the summer may decrease virus. It's interesting. There's a lot of discussion about what's happening in sub-Saharan Africa and whether it's malaria protection or it's heat. We're going to find out very soon. But I do think there's enough data to suggest that the summer may decrease the rate of the coronavirus as it does for every other respiratory virus. It may return, but the summer may improve upon that. We also have data that shows that the virus has not mutated, has not changed. That's good news because that was a concern whether our treatment strategies. I'm optimistic. All things being equal in testing right now, we're seeing a decrease in the rate of increase of death, and, and that's important. And then I think technologies in terms of wearables that can look at temperature, some of them can look at oxygenation, location trackers are all going to have a role. If they don't in this exit strategy, I think they could in our next time strategy. Um, so that's what I'm optimistic about. I'm concerned there's still a lot of misinformation out there. Anyone that has a social media page can just tweet something and, and people believe it. We've seen a need to crack down on companies that are making claims about effective therapies when we know there's no data to support it. So, you know, I'm very focused on making sure, at least at WebMD, where 80 million people come to the site every month that we're providing credible information that's evidence-based. And I'm working with partners to make sure that I can amplify their messages when it's um, credible and evidence-based. So there's still a lot we need to do. There's still a lot of concern about the number of infections as well as the number of deaths, especially in certain locations of the city, uh, of the country. But, you know, we are doing the right public health strategies. We, we are doing the right preparation. Uh, we are making the right tools and resources available. It may not be as, as quickly as, as sometimes people like, but we're getting there, and, and I think there is a lot of data that shows some of the modeling that was suggested in the past that has caused a lot of panic is, is just not accurate. Here are the five to six major points that Dr. White made in his presentation. As of the beginning of this past week, in Canada, 214,000 tests have been completed with 6,300 positive cases and 65 deaths, translating to a 1% death rate. 98% of confirmed cases have mild to moderate symptoms. In the U.S., 900,000 tests have been completed with 143,000 positive cases, 2,500 deaths, translating to a 1.7% death rate. It's important to point out that 50% of all new cases are in New York and 19 states have less than 200 cases, indicating that mitigation strategies are actually working. 
Major point number two, the U.S. is now testing almost 20,000 per day, which is an improvement, but still lower per person than other countries. Cepheid and Abbott are working on enhanced testing equipment that will improve turnaround times, for instance. Abbott is working on a product that will produce results in 15 minutes. This will facilitate around 50,000 tests per day starting April 2nd. In addition, the FDA recently approved a self-swab nose test, not in the home, but at a healthcare facility, which is important because this will eliminate the need for protective care equipment. Point number three, in terms of the curve, which everybody talks about, comparing countries is not truly apples to apples, as a lot depends on timing of the test and mitigation strategies. We are cautious about models indicating alarming increases, such as 60-70% of the population being infected within 6-12 to 12 weeks, because there is still a lot of uncertainty and the data is not confirmed. Point number four, over the weekend, President Trump announced that social distancing guidelines currently in place will be extended until April 30th. The peak is expected in two weeks, and there will be a gradual recovery starting June 1. Currently, there are multiple vaccine trials going on, but it will take at least 12 to 18 months, best case, to get those vaccines active. Point number five, new areas of treatment are being discussed, most notably plasma and monocule therapy, which involve antibodies. Specifically, this treatment injects patients with antibodies from people that had the virus and have subsequently healed. This theory is that you can identify who was infected and recovered, and then you get a widespread sample that will allow you to identify the full scope of the pandemic. This will gradually shift the testing strategy from diagnostic to antibody testing. Last point, Dr. White is optimistic on the following. Number one, some are likely decreasing the rate of respiratory viruses that typically happen in the summer, meaning in the summertime, respiratory viruses typically start to go down, if not disappear. Point number two, there's been no mutation of the virus seen so far, number three, decrease in the rate of increase of death, meaning we're seeing slower rates of death. Point number four, technology playing a much bigger role, including self-testing. Number five, crackdown on companies who are claiming false cure strategies. And number six, executing the right public health strategies. BMO Financial Group is committed to continue to bring you the most up-to-date COVID-19 views, not only from Dr. White, but our subject matter experts. We shall continue on with these podcasts and the conference calls as the crisis unfolds. Thank you so much for listening. Be safe and stay well. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.